Hi, and welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, back in the mobile studio today in North Yorkshire, England. If you listened to the Season 6 preview show last week that I did with Axel and Matt, I was broadcasting from the comfort of my own living room. Uh, But uh, back in the usual sort of location today, uh, in the car park at work, (laughs) surrounded by fields and trees, it's... uh, uh, I've probably described it before, but it's uh, a nice setting for a podcast. Uh, but as always, it comes with the uh, caveat, please forgive any overflying aeroplanes or army helicopters or intrusive birds. So um, bear with me. Uh, I do have the windows up in the car at the moment, but um, it's a bit warm today, so I might well be putting the windows down while I'm talking to you today. Uh, we're going back to season two. This is a rewatch podcast. We're doing episode three. From season two, this will be the final uh, season two rewatch podcast until season six finishes. Yes, indeed, season six is just about upon us, and indeed, maybe when you hear this, season six may well be in full swing, or may have even finished. I don't know. I guess uh, people pick up these podcasts at different times, and I do occasionally get emails from people who just discovered the show, and it's always good. I mean, the shows are always out there, uh, and uh, now the podcasts are out there too. So. Um, it's good if uh, you can do the two together and um, sort of watch and then listen. Uh, that was kind of my aim when I set out doing the rewatch. As I say, season six is about to start uh, this coming Sunday, October the 2nd. Um, so once that gets underway, of course, I'll be throwing myself uh, <laughs> headlong into podcasting about season six. And who could blame me? So uh, I'll be do my level best to keep up and producing a podcast a week to keep up with the show as it airs. So um, I hope you'll join me for that and uh, maybe even ring in or email with your thoughts on the season as it's going along. That would be great. I do enjoy going through your emails and responding and and chatting about your theories and thoughts and whatnot. So um, I'll be giving out the details in a bit about how you can get in touch. Uh, But for now, uh, I'll just give a quick mention. Uh, I talked about it last time briefly and it was completely against uh, character because I I hate asking for any kind of uh, back patting or anything like that. But it's the podcast awards. Yes, I mentioned it last time. (laughs) Apologies for mentioning it again, but it it is quite a nice thing. And uh, nominations are open until the end of September. So if you feel so inclined to um, maybe show a little bit of appreciation or a bit of support for the podcast, um, go to podcastawards.com and you can complete the section for entertainment podcast and uh, just fill it in for Dissecting Dexter and, and fire that off. And that would be fantastic. I'd really appreciate that. I've had some messages back from some very kind listeners who have already done so and um, I really appreciate that. It's it's a great seal of approval and um, I, I appreciate your support. Thank you. Quick shout out for the Rogue 2 podcasting network of which Dissecting Dexter is now uh, a member. And uh, if you want to go to rogue2.com, as in the, well, it's a Star Wars reference, go to rogue2.com and you'll find Dissecting Dexter, my other show, Gareth's Waste of Time, and uh, a host of other podcasts, including uh, a couple about Doctor Who and and Oh, there's one about music in the movies and uh, check it out and see if there's any you might fancy subscribing to it would be nice to support it right okay i've uh, i've waffled enough um (laughs) let's 
dive into Season 2, Episode 3, An Inconvenient Lie. Written by Melissa Rosenberg and directed by Tony Goldwyn, both of whom we've talked about before. The original air date was the 20th of July 2008. So, let's get stuck in, shall we? Here we go, episode review. Open with a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. A woman is sharing with the gathered addicts, and Dexter is sitting at the back looking thoroughly bored, going over his shopping list in his head. Of course, unlike uh, the rest of us who think about things like, oh, must get bread, must get milk, oh, we need eggs. He's, his items include duct tape and trash bags. It's pretty funny seeing his reactions to the goings on and the people there. He's completely cynical about it, of course, and musing how he's supposed how is he supposed to get any work done in here. It's clear he's just turned up to appease Rita and for no other reason than that. On first watch, I did think that going to the meetings could actually provide some help for him, but he obviously doesn't think so. One particularly funny line that struck me, a, a woman sharing says she'd kill for a Vicodin, and Dexter says, lightweight. <laughs> he walks out. But we're obviously supposed to notice a dark-haired girl there who keeps looking at him. Back at Rita's, he's telling her about the meeting, keeping it positive, but Rita catches him in a lie as he pretends to have stayed there to the end. Remember, this is important to her in order to stay with him. He wriggled out of the pool situation by letting her think he's a drug addict. Rita knows a bit about the 12-step programme from her experience with Paul, so Dexter can't pull the wool over her eyes quite so easily. She really needs him to take this seriously and really work it because she can't go through all that again like she did with Paul. You can't blame her. Dexter has to decide how much he needs Rita and the kids. I say need rather than care about because this is Dexter we're talking about. But he promises to go the next day and stay to the end of the meeting. Next day in the police office... Lieutenant Pascal is being criticised by the troops for her TV appearance where she invited the public to contact them to help identify the bodies attributed to the Bay Harbour Butcher. They're complaining because now hordes of family members of missing persons from the last decade are turning up and flooding the building. Batista says how Pascal is off her game. Remember her personal troubles with her fiancé we've mentioned before. She's obviously distracted. Captain Matthews comes in with Agent Lundy. Actually, I didn't talk before about the actor who plays Lundy. It's Keith Carradine, something of a veteran after 40 years in the business, starting with a part in McCabe and Mrs Miller in 1971. Since then, he's starred in a string of roles on the big and small screen. However, he hasn't enjoyed massive success in that not many of his films have been especially big, but he's enjoyed steady work and recent impressive turns in a few TV shows, including... Deadwood, in which he played Wild Bill Hickok. Most recently, you might have spotted him as Sheriff Taggart in Cowboys and Aliens. Amongst his filmography, I was particularly interested and amused, perhaps, to spot a role in a film called Love American Style, which you may remember was the title of a season one episode of Dexter. So, that's Keith Carradine, a great addition to Dexter. As I think I've said before, Lundy is one of my favourite characters in the show. So, Lundy's here with Captain Matthews, who congratulates the department on their work so far, and announces some allocation of staff to Lundy's task force. Masuka, Batista are included, and Deb, much to her surprise. Dexter's happy not to be included, no blood spatter, but it keeps him off Lundy's radar. 
As Lundy speaks to his troops, Dexter seems quite relaxed and confident about the situation. Prints, fibre, trace evidence. No, they won't find anything. I followed all of Harry's painstaking preventative measures. He knew that nothing stays buried forever. His code will protect me. Still, I wish my own sister weren't hunting me. Makes for an awkward family dynamic. We know what good work Deb did on the ice truck killer case, even though she didn't realise she was sleeping with him, at least not until it was too late. But Dexter's confident here that he's not left any evidence for her or any of them to latch onto. Lundy briefs the team and the bottom line is that they're focused on identifying the bodies. As he says, ID the bodies leads to a pattern, find the pattern and they find their man. Lundy is composed and eloquent with hints of a genial sense of humour. It's hard not to like him. This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. It helps me control the chaos. Later on, Dexter's out and about, scouting his next victim, but he's not intending on acting on it yet. Lying low is the order of the day at the moment, but he wants to do his research. Someone murdered two women in their homes and the victims were linked in that a particular car dealership ran a credit check on each of them. The man at the dealership is Roger Hicks. Dexter needs to get some proof, though. Hicks sees Dexter looking at a people carrier, or a minivan as he calls it, and strikes up a conversation. Hicks talks about owning one and mentions his wife and kids, although Dexter's already done some reading and knows all this to be lies. While this is going on, though, Dexter pinches Hicks's comb from his jacket, giving him the DNA evidence he needs. Funny, though, through the bullshit sales pitch, Dexter actually seriously seems convinced by it. And in the next scene, he's saying, I stalk a serial killer and end up buying a new car. How'd that happen? (laughs) But he thinks... Or rather, he seems unsure of exactly why he's bought it. LaGuerta later calls it a mummy-mobile. Is Dexter getting some family pangs? Surely not. In the lab, Dexter analyses hair from Hickey's comb and finds it synthetic. I could learn something from this guy, he thinks. Clearly Hicks wears a wig. Masuka comes in. He's the lead forensic investigator on Lundy's task force. And has got Dexter temporarily assigned. Of course, Dexter didn't want this, but pretends to be pleased. We join Deb interviewing one of the family members, hoping for news of a lost loved one. The woman here is played by Martha Hackett, who I recognise from Star Trek Voyager. She was a series regular for a while. It's not clear if the man she's talking about here is a boyfriend or husband, but it turns out he was in and out of jail and may have been a bit of a bad lad. The woman's brought in his toothbrush, hoping it will give them some DNA evidence to go on. After this, Deb goes to Lundy and asks to be taken off the task force. Lundy points out most people join the force to get involved in a case like this, but she just seems to be lacking the self-belief at the moment. Still rocked by the trauma she suffered last season, it's not the best career move to put in such a request. Lundy's nice about it, though, and asks her to keep interviewing until he can find a replacement. Masuka takes Dexter to what they call the tent, He's excited at the good condition of some of the bodies, but says the pressure is huge and he really needs Dexter's help. Dexter enters the tent with some trepidation. Must be weird seeing his playmates again. Playmate was his word, not mine. He looks round at the body parts and muses. They weren't meant to be put together again. They were meant to remain in the silent shadows, keeping their secrets. Now they're exposed to the glare 
reflecting my darkness like some grotesque carnival mirror. Harry was right. Nothing stays buried. Perhaps not even me. That evening, Dexter leaves work in his new car and spots Dokes looking round for his old car. Maybe this was part of the reason Dexter splashed out on some new wheels today. Throw Dokes off his tail for a day or so. Dexter attends the NA meeting as he promised Rita. Seems he's pleased Dokes isn't able to follow him there and open the way for more questions. The person in charge of the meeting invited any newcomers to come up and collect their newcomers chip. Dexter doesn't hesitate. Remember the importance Rita placed on it. The man also invites Dexter to share with the meeting. The dark-haired girl is here again and looks interested. Well, I... Uh... <clears throat> What's your name? Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. And I'm um, an addict. I use heroin. Shoot it. It's affecting my job. My boss found my works. He fired my ass. But I showed him I spent every penny of my final paycheck on junk. Doctor said I. Uh, I almost died. So that was Dexter's first foray into sharing. All total lies, but for a moment there, as the background music played, I wondered if he was going to own up to lying and tell the truth, at least to some extent. It seemed he was considering sharing something honestly for a second, but no. Afterwards, the dark-haired girl approaches him, invites him for coffee at the diner next door, and very quickly it's apparent that she sees through his lies. Neither does does she think his name is Bob. Dexter tries to maintain the facade, but she gets scarily close to nailing him, and we see how many of the principles of drug addiction apply to Dexter's own unique addiction. I don't mean to imply that what you've been through hasn't been difficult. But there's no way that I could know what you've experienced, right? I couldn't possibly feel that need. Like a thousand hiding voices whispering, this is who you are. And you fight the pressure. The growing need rising like a wave, prickling and teasing and prodding to be fed. But the whispering gets louder until it's screaming now. And it's the only voice you hear, the only voice you want to hear. And you belong to it, to this shadow self to this dark passenger yes the dark passenger Dexter's face there was a picture as he realised this stranger seemed to understand the same urge that he did she couldn't possibly know what the urge wants him to do But she understands the same need as it nags and nags and refuses to subside until it's satiated. It seems to startle him though and he leaves. The mysterious girl is Lila Tournay, 
played by British actress Jane Murray, who British viewers may recognise from the TV show Hustle. More recently, she's been in the likes of Spartacus, Gods of the Arena and Warehouse 13. Her delivery here was very unsettling. <laughs> I found her tone a little slimy, if that makes sense. Almost, I don't know, almost snake-like. And maybe that's the intention rather than just the actress's natural... just the natural quality to her voice. Kind of a, a choice she made to portray the character that way. It remains to be seen if she lives up to this initial impression, though. A very interesting scene, nevertheless, and a surprising one for Dexter. He walks away feeling the programme is too risky. If this girl can recognise demons and dark passengers, maybe the others will too, but how's he going to break the news to Rita? He gets home and explains to her that the meetings are not a good place for him. He thinks he can do this on his own. Rita is resolute, though, having lived through Paul's addiction, trying and failing to cure his own problems himself. Dexter tries to be firm, and Rita just says she prays he changes his mind. As Dexter leaves, he looks a bit puzzled, a bit, a bit bewildered. What just happened, he says. Did Rita give him a grudging green light to stay away from the meetings, or did she indirectly let him go, not wanting to be with him until he goes back to the meetings? You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Is that serious shit? <laughs> Next day, Dexter goes back to the car lot to have another go at obtaining Roger Hicks's DNA. He manages to do it, but has a conversation, a kind of strange conversation with a young woman that comes in, and he realises she could possibly be Hicks's next victim. He watches her and Hicks from a distance, and he's convinced, but can't do anything to stop him until the manhunt's over. Harry would insist on it, he says. Back at Miami Metro, LaGuerta goes in to talk to Pascal. Her job seemed to be stacking up, but she's still preoccupied with her personal problems. She gets back on point just for a minute before she's again distracted. LaGuerta has to walk away to deal with the tasks herself. Do you smell an opportunity for LaGuerta? Meanwhile, Dex is on the computer checking up on Roger Hicks. He's got a DNA match for Hicks on semen samples taken at both murder scenes. Yuck. He's in a quandary now. Hicks is the one, and if Dexter does nothing, another woman dies. His head is in a fog, but then he rings Rita. He's still confused about what she said the night before, and she basically makes it clear that the ball's in his court to attend the programme, and that she and the kids can manage without him until he does. Not sure how to respond, he just hangs up the phone. I don't know, it struck me as a bit, a bit odd. I think he's just really confused here. I think he wants to stay with Rita and the kids, but feels he risks being found out if he goes to the meetings. <laughs> is that what they call being stuck between a rock and a hard place? Which is more important to him? Which way should he go? Back with Deb, and she's interviewing a mother looking for her seven-year-old daughter. Things get fraught, Deb trying to explain there aren't any children among the bodies. And afterwards, she goes back to Lundy. It's been 24 hours since I asked to be replaced. Has it? What's taking so long? There's a couple in the damn force once in on this case. Just take your pick. I've been wondering about that, actually. Everyone wants on, but you want off. I told you I have cases. I don't think so. Jesus, I just don't want to be on your task force, all right? Why? Because I'm the last person in the world that should be on it. You want me to find a serial killer? I was engaged to one, for Christ's sake. 
What kind of cop? What kind of... That's why I chose you, you know. Because of what you went through. You survived. I don't know how. I can't begin to imagine the strength it took. Continues to take. More than that, you got a first-hand look into the mind and heart of a killer. And you're still here. If you can accept that, really accept it, you could use it. Mix that with some of your strength and you could catch someone even worse than the eye-struck killer. But you'd have to stop running. Finish today's interviews. Ben, if you still want out, you got it. Don't you just want to give him a hug? <laughs> Am I developing a man crush here? <laughs> no. <laughs> and Deb, for that matter, I think she needs a hug. There you go, I've balanced it. <laughs> She's so vulnerable here, and Lundy's being so supportive and showing great belief in her. Straight away, you can see he could be something of a father figure for her, or at least fill a role of something like that. Her professional motivation has been to become a cop that Harry would have been proud of, something she yearned for when he was still alive, getting his approval and making him proud. Here, Lundy barely knows her, yet knows enough to see something in her, and maybe that fact will be enough to bring her back on board and give her the motivation to stay on the task force and, more than that, throw herself right into the investigation. Captain Matthews comes to speak to LaGuerta, impressed that she's stuck around after her demotion. He butters her up a little, saying she always knew how to deal with the press. She sees through it, of course, and he gets to the point and asks about Pascal, knowing she's been AWOL on personal matters and cocking things up with the press. He basically gives LaGuerta carte blanche to take her shot, but amazingly she doesn't take it. She says Pascal is having to take the same bullshit sexism she had to tolerate when she was in charge. She says Pascal's fine and walks away. <laughs> Did you see that coming? Honestly, it's to her credit that she's stuck up for her female colleague, when clearly there is a case. Pascal has definitely been distracted at a time of great scrutiny by the media in light of the Bay Harbour Butcher case. Her eye certainly is not on the ball, and LaGuerta had an opportunity there to shoot her down and get her old job back. She didn't take it, but personally, I'm still left wondering if she's playing a game to get back at Matthews, or whether she genuinely likes Pascal and wants to stick up for her. I don't know. That evening, Dex is on his way to the field morgue, the tent, when Dokes appears. He's ID'd Dexter's new car and makes it clear he's not going anywhere. He tells Dexter he knows he has something to do with the ice truck killer, but he doesn't know what. He also reveals something we didn't know about Dexter. He did martial arts in college and was top of the class, yet he chose blood spatter. He's wondering what a lab geek would want with jiu-jitsu. Dexter says it was an easy credit, but Dokes isn't convinced. You're a good liar, he says. Not good enough, Dexter mumbles to himself as he walks away. Dexter enters the tent and gazes at his body of work. He's startled when Lundy speaks to him from across the sea of dismembered corpses. And it's an interesting conversation that they have. You hoping they'll talk to you? The ones with heads, anyway. They always speak. Eventually. Just gotta ask the right question. Which is? Why were they chosen? 
looking for a pattern? One doesn't kill this many people in this careful, methodical way without a reason. Some twisted set of principles. They would have to be twisted, wouldn't they? The worst killers in history are usually the ones who think the murders were somehow just, even deserved. Leaders have slaughtered whole populations for the same warped reason. But there's never any justification for killing. No. Well, one, of course. To save an innocent life. To save an innocent life? How many more bodies would there be had I not stopped those killers? This was a fascinating scene, not least because of the atmosphere created by the location. And nice production. Row upon row of body parts covered in plastic sheets, not unlike the plastic draped around Dexter's kill rooms. It's a dimly lit room, very atmospheric, with Dexter backlit, backlit by bright water vapour tumbling down behind him from a, uh, I guess it's a refrigeration unit. I like Lundy referring to the killer as having a twisted set of principles, which of course Dexter has, although he doesn't regard them as twisted. He believes they've kept him alive and undiscovered until now. But the one that seemed to redeem him came from Lundy himself, justifying killing if it's to protect an innocent life. Something Dexter can latch onto. All his killing have probably saved innocent lives, almost no doubt. It's just that saving the public has never been his motivation. This is why I hesitate before truly comparing Dexter to comic heroes, kind of Avengers like Batman. Dexter's never been driven by a need to help people, just to satisfy his dark passenger. It's just that Harry helped him channel his urges by only targeting killers, so any public service has simply been a happy consequence of his murders. This little gem from Lundy seems to give Dexter the green light to go after Hicks. In the name of saving innocent lives, Dexter thinks Lundy and Harry would agree about this one. So, knifing Dokes' tyres on the way out, Dexter goes after Hicks as he locks up the dealership. Hicks shows himself up as a jerk in the end as Dexter calls him out for lying about having a wife and kids. Weird, when Hicks has been enjoying Dexter's business and then tells this customer he doesn't give a shit. What a way to talk to customers. A very strange attitude. Because as far as Hicks knew, Dexter was still a customer. Anyway, Dexter incapacitates him and sticks him in the roomy cargo space of his shiny new people carrier. Cut to the kill room, and it's funny that the first thing we see is Hicks's wig on a stand. We're in the apartment of one of the victims. Dexter talks to him about what he's done and calls Hicks out again for lying, but is impressed at how well he does it. He comes to the conclusion that it's simply because, in his words, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care about anyone or anything. And he means it as a compliment. I don't care either. Yes, you do. Like about your wife. Not married. Girlfriend, then. Saw it the minute you walked on the lot. What did you say? Tell me. Like most guys your age, they beeline. Right for the horsepower. You know, something flashy, sexy. But you, you're there all alone. No one there to nag you. And you don't even glance at the coops. The only thing you look at is the minivan. Like you can see her in the passenger seat, and the kids in the back. Leave the kids out. See? You're lying to yourself if you think you don't care. 
She's just a companion, really. Started that way, anyway. Someone who looked good, normal. They wormed their way in. Yeah, they do. And they shut you out. That's what this is about. They, she shut you out? Oh. Man, okay, I get it. I, I, uh, I've been there. Oh, yes, lots of meat to talk about here. Firstly, it's apparent that Dexter is interested in Hicks's ability to lie so convincingly. His own ability, which has been pretty good, let's face it, but Rita caught him in a lie about the meetings. Now, of course, lying, deception and caring about nothing are common traits of psychopaths, and clearly Hicks is one, but it's interesting how Dexter thinks he can learn something from him. Also in this little exchange, we see how Dexter's very touchy about the kids. Remember the pilot, Dexter talking to Mike Donovan at the beginning, saying, Never kids. It stems from what happened to Dexter as a child, surely. We don't need to delve into it again, but obviously Dexter never intends to ever cause harm to a child. Protect the innocent again, linking with what Lundy said. Finally, there's... There's the aeroplane. <laughs> Finally, there's Hicks's astute observation about Dexter just looking at the people carrier. Indeed, buying the people carrier, or he called it a minivan again. Dexter was alone. No one to nag him. He could have looked at any of the cars, something sporty even. Yet he just looked at the family car. Hicks is reading into that, and it gives Dexter something to think about, and maybe reach a realisation. Indeed, he said it started out with Rita just being a companion, although, more specifically, we know it started with him using her for cover to appear normal. But Hicks helps him to realise that he does actually care. To what extent, we don't know exactly, but there's definitely something. Anyway, Rick's... Rick's... Hicks! <laughs> Hicks makes a mistake and breaks the thoughtful moment by referring to Rita as the C-word and brings about an abrupt end to his life. But the result of this conversation is that Dexter goes back to his meetings. We see him sharing again, but this time speaking honestly. Albeit non-specifically, but we know what he's talking about, and he's speaking in terms that the addicts present can understand and empathise with. He talks about darkness inside him, darkness that he hides. He's dark passenger, and when it drives him, he feels alive. He doesn't want to fight it, it's all he's got. But then he questions whether the dark passenger lies to him. Because lately, there are these moments when I feel... ...connected to something else. Someone. It's like... ...the mask is slipping. And things... People that never mattered before are suddenly starting to matter. It scares the hell out of me. And with the applause, the moment's gone. Dexter's face breaks into a smile and he accepts the handshakes and backpats from the gathered addicts. He seems visibly relieved, like he's been able to unload a bit of the weight he's been carrying. Remember his outpouring of relief when he admitted to Dr Meridian that he was a serial killer, back in season one. 
kind of similar thing here, but this time he's in sympathetic company. Very different from revealing himself to another very active serial killer. And wasn't that an Emmy-worthy performance from Michael C. Hall there? What a great scene, and very revealing for the character. Oh, no. And now here comes the Chinook. <laughs> we'll carry on. <laughs> so, yeah, Hall's performance. Fantastic. And Dexter here has openly admitted that he cares about Rita. Does it leave him vulnerable? Yes, of course it does, but it also makes him more normal, more human. As Lila leads the serenity, pre serenity prayer for the end of the meeting. Sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied today. As she leads the serenity prayer, Dexter sees Doak standing at the back. Oh my God. But Doak surprises us all as he now seems to have found the reason for Dexter's strange behaviour all this time. And he empathises, saying that plenty of cops have been in this situation. <laughs> oh dear. Well, there's the mobile studio for you. <laughs> Police helicopter this time. <laughs> Basically, Doak says as long as he stays clean and keeps out of his way, they won't have a problem. Now, this is great news for Dexter, if Dokes really will be off his back. However, I do find it a little bit convenient and a, and a little bit easy. Does drug addiction account for Dexter, I don't know, hanging around containers in a shipyard where Dokes caught him towards the end of season, season one? Excuse me. Dokes is a sharp detective, and I'm just a little surprised that he accepted addiction as accounting for everything strange he's ever felt or seen from Dexter. What do you guys think about that? Drop me an email and let me know. We can talk about it next time, maybe. I just found it a little bit easy, a little bit convenient. Back at the police department, Deb's interviewing someone else, a man who doesn't want to find his father. Bit strange. Rather, he wants to be sure he's dead and rotting in hell. In and out of prison, it sounds like the mother and daughter in the family need to be sure they're safe. All very intriguing and not knowing all the facts, but it sounds like this guy could have been a possible candidate for Dexter's kill table. Deb's mind starts working overtime. She retrieves the file from the woman she spoke to earlier. You know, Star Trek woman, remembering the report that the guy she was looking for was not entirely law-abiding. Deb hurries to speak to Lundy and it gives him food for thought. It's not much of a pattern. But of those missing persons, two have prison records. It's something. Bad guys, as Deb, put, as Deb puts it. Lundy tells her to run the DNA of the victims against the criminal database. See if they get any matches. Well done, Deborah. And this does vindicate Pascal a little bit. She told the press without thinking properly that relatives of missing people should come in to talk to them. But in her haste, she may have inadvertently helped the case. Cut to Rita's house. And Dexter wakes her up to tell her honestly that the programme is good and it's helping him already. This is music to her ears, of course, and it's good to see Dexter looking genuinely happy. Next morning, though, Rita drops Dexter off and we see he's meeting his sponsor. Rita looks to see who it is, and she sees Lila there. I love the quick zoom in on Rita's face, suddenly facing a new problem. Her own insecurity seeing the person with whom, she assumes... Dexter will be sharing his innermost thoughts and fears. And she's not entirely unattractive either. Claws out. This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. It helps me control the chaos. And that's the end of the episode. 
a really great one, I thought. Some excellent moments for Dexter, who really made some progress in his personal journey here, in an unexpected place. As cynical as he was about the NA meetings, he does have an addiction, and maybe here he can find common ground. Whether he actually wants to get some help is doubtful, but maybe he hopes to be, I don't know, to better understand his addiction and his dark passenger. He's not alone in the darkness anymore, and at the risk of saying something profound. Then we have Dokes. I was liking the storyline of him tailing Dexter, waiting to get something concrete to confirm his suspicions. But just as it seemed to be ramping up a little with what he said earlier in the episode, it's cut off at the knees, as Doke seems very quick to accept the drug addiction as an explanation for everything. And I'm sceptical of that. As a writing device, I mean. And Lundy. The scene with Dexter in the tent. It was just terrific, and I like how they're quickly establishing Lundy's character. He's a nice guy, hard-working and dedicated, but he seems really nice. Someone trustworthy and reliable. Someone who can be a good friend and colleague. His interaction with Deb this week was interesting and really seemed to do us some good. Although he potentially poses the biggest threat yet for Dexter. I really like him despite this though and I'm looking forward to some some interesting tricky situations shall we, shall we say. Listener Feedback Okay, I've had an email, just a brief email from our friend Tom in Poland about this one. He just says, hi there. As usual, I don't have a lot to say, maybe because I'm consumed by other TV shows, X-Files and Community. Thanks for mentioning it on Waste of Time, it's quite enjoyable. This episode was fine. Nothing was wrong for me, except maybe one thing. Dokes believing Dexter is a drug addict. I'm pretty sure it wasn't convincing, even the first time when I watched this. Other than that, good Dexter episode. Keep up the great work and the waste of time as well. Can't wait for season six and your podcast about it. Thanks, Tom. Nice to hear from you again. Um, interesting that you're you're getting consumed by other TV shows. This, any listeners of Gareth's Waste of Time will know I do watch a lot of different TV shows um, and uh, a lot of my time is spent at watching those. Uh, I watched X-Files when it was first on and um, I'm still chugging through community slowly but surely. Uh, but listen to Gareth's Waste of Time to find out what I think about it because I won't clog up the Dexter podcast with thoughts on that. Um but uh, yeah, you say it's a good Dexter episode, and it certainly was this time. Um, my big beef with it, really, and my only beef with the episode, really was, as I say, Dokes swallowing the drug addict thing very easily. Um, he didn't seem to have any kind of reservations about it. It just seemed to explain away all the niggling suspicions and... Uh, bad feelings he'd had about Dexter that stem right back to the very beginning of the pilot episode when uh, Dexter and Dokes had that initial uh, <laughs> amusing com- uh, conversation in the police department in, in um, was it the second scene of the pilot? Uh, really good stuff and the whole Dokes suspecting Dexter thing has been has been one of the fascinating story arcs really. So it kind of seems very, a bit of a lame plot device really to have him accept this and uh, 
go off the trail quite so easily. However, with that said, I wonder if there'll be something coming up soon that uh, will maybe get Dokes' little radar going off again and uh, get him back on the case. Those who've seen season two before will know the answer to that, but uh, let's just see what happens. So that was all I received for this particular episode. Um, but as we're in the feedback section, I'll give uh, a quick shout out to some new iTunes reviews. Uh, specifically, thanks to Pied Piper UK, I'm Not an Addict, MHW0714, and Shannon Kozak for leaving some uh, very nice five star iTunes reviews. Much appreciated. Uh, Shannon picked up on, uh, well, I think the words were excellent but inconsistent due to the timing of the episodes. Uh, so I'm, I'm very grateful that you, you call the podcast excellent. That's <laughs> that's very nice. Um, inconsistent, yeah, well, as I've said before, my uh, my schedule is pretty busy with family life and whatnot, and I don't get these done as often as I'd like to. I'm quite surprised that I've got so many podcasts done in the last five or six weeks as I have. I've done three wasted times and... I think three Dexter ones now, so um, I'm, I've kind of put the uh, accelerator on. And as I said, with season six coming, I'm going to be churning one of these out a week. So um, I hope that uh, inconsistent label will uh, can be <laughs> can be forgotten about at least for now. Um, so thanks, guys. Anyone else who wants to leave an iTunes review for me um, uh, and a five star rating, that would be fantastic. And as you can see, uh, I'll give you a mention in the podcast by way of thanks. If you want to leave me any feedback, uh, any thoughts on future episodes, any thoughts on the podcast in general, and with season six coming, I'm anticipating you'll have plenty to say about the new stuff. Dissectingdexter at gmail.com is the email address, or you can drop me a message on Twitter, at DissectDexter. You could also use my personal Twitter, which is at Gareth underscore UK. Or the listener lines. As I said last time, there's a new US listener line which hopefully will be permanent. I don't think it's on, a, on one of these 30-day timeout things where, where it cancels and deletes the, the number after 30 days of inactivity. Um, the new line is 646-222-6122. That's 646-222-6122. And in the UK, the number is 844 579 6949 and you enter mailbox ID 08320 when the voice prompts you. Uh, apologies that there isn't uh, a number for other countries, although if you really want to uh, phone and leave me a voicemail, you can on the US listener line. That is accessible from uh, other countries, but obviously you'd need to dial the international code for the US um, in front of, of that number. If you um, if you don't want to ring in, but you do want to send me a voice message, you can email an MP3 or iPhone voice recording or WAV file. You can email it to dissectingdexter at gmail.com and I'll still be able to get your voice on the show. Next time on Dissecting Dexter. The next episode is called See Through. Here's the synopsis. Rita feels threatened when she meets Dexter's new NA sponsor. She also deals with a visit from her estranged mother. Elsewhere, Dexter continues to try to throw off the persistent FBI agent Lundy off his trail. So, I don't know, on the face of that, doesn't sound altogether mind-blowing, but, uh, you know, this is Dexter and there's always some good stuff to talk about. 
Obviously, there's going to be some domestic strife with uh, Rita getting a bit, uh, you know, the old green-eyed monster, the old uh, tinge of jealousy. Um, obviously, at the moment, it just seems that Dexter's uh, genuinely uh, going to use his meetings as a way of getting some kind of help, not help secure his dark passenger, but just help to provide a bit of, maybe a bit of clarity for himself and clarity for his his issues, shall we say. Uh, it sounds like the uh, the old mother-in-law turns up as well, although uh, not mother-in-law in, in a f an official capacity, but who knows what she'll think of Dexter. And uh, God knows if she gets wind of Dexter's drug addiction. Um, I can't imagine she's going to be, uh, I don't know, <laughs> at the risk of stereotyping. I don't think she's going to, I don't think she's going to be the sort of uh, mother-in-law who, uh, who tolerates people with uh, issues such as those, shall we say. But I, I hope that uh, the net is going to tighten on Dexter and uh, Lundy's investigation starts to um, get Dexter a bit more nervy, a bit more twitchy. And uh, I'm kind of hoping that the Dokes thing will um, will come back round again because uh, I don't like the idea of Dokes just dropping his suspicions completely, just like that. But we've got plenty to look forward to. I mean, we're, we're just three episodes into the season. Uh, the next episode could be a, a little bit... A bit, little bit more set up um, as this episode was to an extent, although there was still lots of good character stuff. And uh, as I've said before, that's really what I enjoy the show. Um, that's what I enjoy most about the show is is the character journey of our good friend Dexter Morgan. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. As I say, this will be the last season two show until, I guess it'll be until the new year now. So apologies for that if you're hanging on, um, waiting for the next one. Um, don't wait for me. Keep watching the show <laughs> and uh, and download the new season two ones when I get back to them. It'll be January, I'm sure, because I'm going to be in the thick of season six for the next three months. And uh, who can blame me? So very much looking forward to season six. I'm sure you'll uh, uh, you'll be uh, looking forward to it just as much as I am, if not more. And uh, I hope you'll you'll join me as we dissect season six as we go through the next uh, next few weeks. So for now, from me, thanks very much for listening. Thanks for your support for the iTunes reviews, for the podcast award nominations, and uh, your continuing downloads. It keeps me going. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you as always. Join me again soon when we dissect some season six Dexter. Oh yes. <laughs> Until then, take care. See you soon.